love to introduce you to the fantastic panel that we've got with us today. Reading across my screen, at least, we've got Rob Millard from Cambridge Strategy. He helps firms set and execute their strategy. We've got Beth Hale, who's a partner at CM Murray LLP. She's a partnership and employment law specialist. And finally, we've got Claire Watkins, who's head of professional practices at Buzzacott, um, the leading accountancy firm. And me, I'm Corinne Staves. I'm a partner at Morris Turner Gardner, a partnership law expert looking at uh, law, regulation and risk management. So let's get cracking. We're talking today about the office. We've um, seen the goalposts move quite a bit um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's such a hot topic of conversation that we thought we really needed to try and grapple with it as a group. Just to set the scene, we obviously had the comments from the government last week, over the 22nd of September, that said that office workers who can work effectively from home should be doing so over the winter. So that very much rose us back from the starting to get back into the office. A lot of firms were launching their programmes in terms of getting people back at their desks in the office. So it's very much been a, a change of direction from the government. And then we've also had some interesting information out of the Institute of Directors, um, their survey of a thousand firms, which was widely talked about yesterday in the news. And from that survey, we learned that 74% of the surveyed firms plan to maintain the increase in home working. And 44% of the firms surveyed said that working from home is more effective, which I thought was a, a really interesting little insight into what those firms were thinking. We've got to recognise that we have been here before. We've gone into widespread remote working previously. What do you think firms have learnt from that previous experience about that widespread remote working experience? I wonder, Rob, whether you'd mind just kicking off with a few comments on, on that? Sure. Well, I mean, let's cast our mind back to March when there was a quite a disconnect between those firms that were, were geared up to this kind of working and those that weren't. And, and some firms had to scramble around town buying laptops for people and such like. But uh, I, I think what everybody discovered is that it all just worked a whole lot easier than, than they expected. But I wonder now, looking back, how much of that easy work back then and, and uh, was because of systems and processes and culture that was already in place uh, pre-COVID and, and people just carried on with the work on their desks and then the next engagement that came in was pretty much the same as before. Uh, and because everybody knew everybody, it was easy to, to keep the, the fabric going, uh, the collaboration going to the degree that people collaborated then. I think what we're seeing now is people were just so tired of being at home and they really wanted to get back to the offices and now they're back at home. And the cracks are beginning to show of where the collaboration doesn't really work. Uh, not just in the way that work is, is delivered to clients, but in how do, you, how do you mentor the youngsters? How do you coach people? How do you do business development in this new world? How do you engage with clients? Longer term questions uh, are, are beginning to emerge. Thanks, Rob. Claire, what's your take on what we've learned from our first experiences of, of working from home? Well, I think what most firms seem to have discovered is that productivity held up quite well and I think that was the thing that we thought wouldn't hold up that we'd all go our separate ways and, and we wouldn't actually be able to get the work done even half as well as we could in the office but productivity doesn't seem to have suffered too badly so far but um, and looking back to what Rob's just said collaboration has suffered and so I feel that firms are looking more closely now at how they can better collaborate because we're just not seeing each other and we're not having those conversations around the office that that mm -hmm further discussions and further work so I think collaboration is, is probably the thing that people are working on. Fantastic and I understand that you've been fortunate enough to have some of your clients share 
the outcome of the, the surveys that they've been doing with their workforces in terms of understanding the experience of the workforce on, on working from home. I know that you can't name names, that's perfectly understandable, but is there, are there any themes that you're able to share with us today from, from that collection of clients and, and their experiences? Yes, and I've uh, rather unprofessionally written it all down on a piece of paper. I was looking at several reports. They, as you would expect, there are some quite common questions that they're all asking, and actually the answers are fairly common too. So just a snippet of them. Oh, and I should just put this in context. This is across professional practices firms, across the spectrum of professional practices, including law firms, architects, charter surveyors. I think there are a couple of engineering firms in there. What seems to come through is that only about 1% of workforces think that they will go back to work in the office five days a week. Is that surprising or not? I mean, I thought it was a little lower than I would have anticipated, but, uh, but that seems to be what's coming through. Uh, most firms seem to think that they will only ever achieve 75% occupancy. And this is post-pandemic. This is after we hopefully find some way to control this thing and we can all go back to an office. They think that they will only ever achieve 75% occupancy. That led to questions about whether they would downsize their offices. But actually, the general feel seems to be that they probably won't downsize their offices, at least not in the medium term. But they will change the use of those offices to facilitate collaboration. So they might turn rooms into more meeting rooms, have more drop-in spaces or whatever you call them, so that people can come in and collaborate more easily and just be more flexible. The most important reason that came through for returning to the office is collaboration, but not just collaboration in a work sense, but collaboration in terms of social interaction action and I don't think that's any surprise to any of us really. The greatest need for the office seems to be for transactional work which I think we can all understand. The biggest homeworking challenge seems to be finding ways to learn from each other. I know we have this in our office I mean if you're in an office where you have trainees then you know when we were all trainees we learned so much from just hearing managers and partners on the phone talking and what have you and that, that they're just not getting that anymore. 90% do see a role for the office and two thirds consider that their home office setup is adequate, which is quite alarming. I think that chimes with a lot of what we're hearing anecdotally from people is that the way that we perceive the office now compared to the previous time that we were asked to work from home is that we've got a clearer sense of what we mean by business need and personal need. And there's a, a very high recognition that personal need includes well-being. And, and that touches on a lot of things you say. So if, if a third of people don't have a, an adequate office set up, then that's quite likely that their well-being is suffering as a result of not being able to just sit down and work of a day. You've got things to do and you can't actually do it. That must be intensely frustrating. Beth, if I could, are there any observations that you have in terms of some of the things that we're still grappling with as we were back in the, in, in the original time that we were working from home? Yes, there are a couple of things. I mean, I'm not going to go into great detail on the sort of legal risk of using the office. It's a, mm. it, there's a sufficient material there for a whole talk in its own right. So, I mean, I can canter through some of the key things. I, th I mean, I would echo what Claire says about sort of collaboration, culture, I think sort of maintaining culture. Um, mm. I think that's that feels easier to do in a in a short term um, working from home, you know, when you thought it was going to be three months, even six months. But if actually that that becomes much longer term, it is, I, th I think, managing that is, is a real challenge for firms yeah. and sort of how you build that culture. And that's it. That includes sort of how you ensure compliance and all those kinds of things, which I think is really important. And then I think in terms of legal risks, I think the key thing to say is that with the obvious exception of the recent COVID specific legislation, none of the sort of legislative protections were really drafted with the pandemic in mind. Mm. So some of them just are sort of being twisted, bent around to try and fit with what we've got now and what we're seeing. But there's a good argument they're not really fit for purpose or they'll need significant kind of interpretation by courts and tribunals to get to a landing place on some of the issues which just aren't clear yet. I mean, there's a lot of talk about 
unprecedented times. And as a lawyer, we talk a lot about legal precedents. We just don't have those legal precedents in a lot of these um, situations. So, um, you know, there just isn't much to help us. But I mean, the key thing is that an employer, so any firm has an obligation to provide a safe place of work for its partners and its employees. So business have to carry out risk assessments. And a lot of businesses, a lot of firms were carrying out, had carried out those risk assessments, had done a lot of the work to get people back in. And that's all been sort of slightly undone by the new announcement. Um, and it's slightly unclear what's going to happen now, whether people can work. I mean, they talk about working, do their job effectively from home. Well, mm. you know, there are some people who might say, well, actually, while I can do my work effectively from home, there are, you know, some people don't have satisfactory home offices, some people don't have printers, some of the real kind of logistical stuff means that I think we will see more people going back in even than we did under the initial lockdown, but for sort of those logistical things, even if that's occasionally. Importantly, the new regulations which have just come into force impose potential liability and fines for employers if they knowingly require people to come into the workplace when they've been required to self-isolate. Mm. I mean, I'm sure no one is intending to do that but just a sort of warning there is potential monetary liability there and then there are issues around personal injury claims if someone does contract liability um, contract coronavirus in the workplace potential liability if they contract it on public transport and whether that constitutes a extension of the workplace in relation to some potential claims and I think you know that's something that employers are aware of and staff are very I think a lot of the concern about coming back to work stems from the commute and the, and the public transport issues. And actually Beth you've touched on a couple of really interesting points there and it, and it touches on particularly on one question that was raised by a, a participant in advance and the, uh, the attendee asks if an employee can attend the office according to government guidelines but refuses because either they're vulnerable or they're just anxious, or they're on, say, prescribed drugs. Um, but as I say, it doesn't fall within the, the government's guidance on being permitted from staying away from the office. What, what should an employer, what should a professional firm do in those circumstances? I think we've talked a lot about risk assessments, so that yeah. you, what you should be doing is risk assessing your office, but also carrying out where you have people who are high risk or who have particular underlying conditions or other high medical risks, carry out individual risk assessments and could ask for medical assistance in doing that you can get nurses doctors who will do those carry out those risk assessments to assess that individual's need i think the key thing is communication work yeah. with individuals to understand what's causing the anxiety um you know address that what you can do to address that can you help them in any way can are there extra steps that you could be taking that they think you should be taking in the workplace even if you have made your office covid safe from the sort of legal perspective are there additional steps that you could be taking offering mm. the flexibility around travel time you know can they come in later can they leave earlier so they're missing rush hour insofar as there is a rush hour at the moment and i think forcing people back to the office is very much a last resort if their job can't be done i mean for all sorts of reasons for legal risk reasons but for reputational reasons as well i think it you know it's a very unattractive <clears throat> position to be in to be forcing people back into the office but if someone's job can't be done from home, or there are particular reasons why you might require the presence in their office, their presence in the office as a one-off or more regularly, you know, you can think about talking to them about their contractual obligations. I think that is very much last resort. And I think as with all these things, communication with staff is absolutely vital and understanding where their concerns lie and seeing what you can do to address those concerns. Great. And I mean, presumably we've had a point raised on the, the chat function. Presumably those principles apply in the same way, not just if somebody's got what they feel to be a reasonable justification, uh, like uh, an underlying health condition or some kind of medical condition that requires some kind of prescription. But if somebody 
just doesn't want to come into the office. Their preference is to work from home. Presumably those principles. Yeah, the principles of communication and discussion and open open channels of communication, absolutely key. I mean, yeah, I think the legal risks are different if it is just that they don't want to, that coming back actually poses them a particular danger. Yeah, I think with all these things, it's all about communication. Great. Thanks, Beth. I think in terms of this sort of scene setting that we've embarked upon here, we'd like you to help us set the scene a little bit as well. We've got a poll question we'd like your input on, and we'd like to know what percentage of your workforce is using the office for the majority of their working time. That's at the moment. Thank you. Um, And can we see the result, please? That's really interesting. Not many at all. So up to 10% is the strongest result there in terms of the the office use, which is is not much really when you think about it, particularly as some people have launched their their programs or had been launching their programs. And that's great. We're finding that a lot of people are benefiting from talking to one another about how the office is being used. We, the panel, aren't pretending that we've got all the answers or all the ideas. So what we thought we would do is split briefly into breakout groups so that you do have an opportunity to do that. So I suggest two questions for discussion. First of all, how is your business using the office at the moment? And then secondly, to lead into the next part of this discussion, because it's interesting to know what people are doing now, but really the more interesting question is, what's the future of the office? How are we going to be using the office in the future? And it would be great if you, in your little groups, could could just chat to one another about that whenever you're ready. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. I, I hope those were useful discussions. We were hoping that... For, the next part of this webinar, rather than focusing on kind of what's going on now or kind of the, the, the old ways of working, um, we wanted to think about actually the future. And because the real question that we should be answering is not what we need to be doing about working from home for the next three weeks, but what's the long term future and strategy of the firm. And actually, um, I, I feel very reassured that that's the next section that we're coming on to, because the very first comment that we got through on the chat function was about this question of reframing the debate. And it was much more eloquently put than I have just put it about sort of using the office as, a, as an opportunity to update the way that we collaborate and really to take this opportunity that we have a blank piece of paper now, work out how we maximize productivity. And, and this is, could be a really exciting opportunity for us to really rethink the way that we we have been using the office. So I, I wonder whether, Rob, you could kick us off with some comments about that, that longer term horizon. How can we maximize this opportunity? I think that's really the key question because I mean, we, we're still to a degree still in crisis mode and it's once the crisis mode passes and, and normality, whatever that means, returns. That's the question. And I think we're going to find that uh, the, some of the solutions that come out have been around for a while. A, a book that I'm reading at the moment is actually rather prosaically called The Year Without Pants. <laughs> it's about WordPress. So, and, and well, these people work anywhere in the world. They never use email. They just use chat. They use modified blogs. And I think we're going to see firms, uh, professional firms are going to have to go through a, a mindset change where the workspace is not the office and anywhere else, but by exception, but it's a seamless mix of virtual workspace and physical workspace. Yeah. And, and so then the question becomes, what kind of space do you need and what kind of equipment and systems and processes do you need within that physical space to support mm-hmm. the workspace, to be able to in- support the youngsters and, and, and train and, and, and coach them and mentor them and to engage with clients in a way that clients find satisfactory and effective and to drive performance. I think a lot of what's happened up until now has been around compromising and making things work. And it's going to shift from there to, well, we have these options that have come out, these technological options more than anything mm. else. 
which ones are going to drive the best performance in our firm. And that's going to be really interesting. I was just talking in the waitout group. If you really want to blow your mind about video conferencing, then Google virtual reality and Google and video conferencing in the same phrase. And you'll probably be shown, taken to Microsoft and their HoloLens and virtual reality meetings where you're looking at avatars that actually look like you and your colleagues. And maybe that's, that's closer than we think. So I think that's the next question next year, whether there's a vaccine or whether the therapeutics get better, we get to get to a point where normality sort of returns. And it's going to be, how do we actually capitalize on this experience and make our firms fundamentally better going forward in terms of the, the kit we use, in terms of our business model, in, firm, in terms of the way that our people engage with the firm in a positive way. Thank you. I really think you've got to the very heart of the issue. It's not about what people want as such. It's about driving the most effective performance. And I wonder, Claire, whether you could comment on what sort of information do we need to be able to understand what that is and how we achieve it? Well, I think one of the, the issues with staff who, want, who have, may have already said that they want to work from home permanently is that that may well be fine, but they need to also understand that there might be a negative financial impact from this. They might also not be because I think there are certain roles and there are within our own business where it can be done just as easily from, from home as, as from the office. But yeah. With most roles, I would say there probably is a, a slightly negative financial impact if, if they're no longer in the office. I think a lot of you know people at the top of the pyramid tend to know all about the financials and we're all fed lots and lots of information and we understand how profit and cash and all the rest of it interlink and how the, the business runs. But people further down the pyramid might not understand that because they're just not given the information. And I think this might now be the opportunity to start to disseminate some of that information and to cascade I think is, is, is the right word to cascade it through the organization so that they can understand how the machine works mm. and why our individual roles are so much more than just a person with an in-tray of work figuratively speaking so you know Fred in the payroll department may be managing a whole load of payrolls every week and every month and doing the work and doing an absolutely sterling job but those conversations that you have in the office are contributing to more than that. And if they're not in office, then that's not going to happen. And it has a direct financial impact, which I don't think a lot of people are aware of. I think now is the time to start sharing the information better. Mm, I think that's very sensible. And, and that would help firms and individuals to understand how they can be more effective. Because to use your example, Fred may feel that they're being as effective as they can be. But, and then to be told that there's other ways in which they can be more effective. I mean, we all welcome that or perhaps not at the time but ultimately it's it's a positive piece of uh, critique I think for us all it's a bit of a tangent but we had a question raised in advance that it'd be great if you could pick up Claire um sort of thinking about information and, and the money side of things there's a question here about the approach of professional firms to salaries many firms have a distinction between say a London salary and an outside London salary if there's widespread home working because firms have identified that it is just as effective or or equally effective to have people working from outside the office does that need reviewing what are people paying home workers has that evolved has that emerged yet well, I think in short, it probably nobody's really got a conclusion on that yet. But, you know, you've already said geographical pay scales aren't a new thing. You know, they've been around, you know, loads of businesses have satellite offices and, and the pay scales are completely different. But fundamentally, everybody pays what the job is worth. So or should do. So wherever they're working from, if they're doing the job that's required and it's valued by the client or customer, then then the pay is right. And it doesn't matter whether you're working from 
you know, somewhere locally and you're not incurring the travel costs that you might have been before or the cost of living is lower. I don't think that should be any part of it if they're doing the job well. So it's about are they doing the same work and are they making the same contribution? And I suppose I mean by contribution, financial contribution to the business. If they are, then I don't see why it should make a difference where they're working from and their you know, pay should be the same. That's my opinion, really. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think there are some there are some quite basic things here, which I've heard a lot of people say, well, the staff are save, saving cost on travel because we're not all traveling into London, if that happens to be where we're working. Well, true. But um, as a colleague of mine, one of our administrators said she only has to travel in daily more than once a week. And she's paying just as much as if she got whatever type of season ticket she has. So because she travels from such a distance. So you know, if we all go back to working one or two days a week, there will be a huge number of people who will do that two days a week and they're still paying as much as they would have done for their season ticket. So actually the cost is, is not really reducing very much. Some of the travel companies are, Claire, introducing part-time season tickets. Uh, yes, I hope that comes in. I've been paying for for years and they've suddenly decided that it's actually possible after all. So. Yeah, this could be a benefit for us all, couldn't it? That actually the train company the companies have to think about this. Yes, I hope that yeah. does come in. So, yes, I mean, the answer, I'm afraid it's not a very clear or concise <laughs> answer, but I, I don't think anybody's really got a firm view on this yet. I don't think of any has been made. Another question that we had in advance was around, and, it, and it's come up a couple of times on the chat function as well, was around the question of this question of working effectively. And, and, and we haven't we focused on the fact that there may be some negative impact of, of working from home on a long term basis. But equally, there could be a positive impact. One of the areas that is often cited as being the more difficult of the challenges to our, to our traditional outlook is this question of training and supervision. And there was a question about how one does train and supervise people. And I thought it was probably just mentioning a, a few ideas. I mean, this came from a, a question from somebody from a law firm, and, and it's worth pointing that person in the direction of the Law Society resources, because they've done quite a lot of webinars on how to do this properly. But I mean, a lot of it is, is just using the tools already at our disposal, but more effectively. So Zoom and Teams, for example, have sharing screens in the same way as you would sit down with a trainee, you know, and, and go through a, a document, say, or a spreadsheet or whatever it is. Do that on Zooms or, or on Teams. It's, it's actually easier sometimes than having a couple of people crowding around a machine where you can't really, really read things properly. Finding the time has always been the problem and that remains the problem to do that effectively and properly. People are doing mentoring groups, so you get uh, not the trainee supervisor, but little mentoring groups, either of their peers or with a, a senior mentor to make sure that their well-being is monitored. And then the, the last thing that uh, has been suggested is actually making sure that you take time to bring the more junior team members onto calls or Zoom calls or whatever it is. I know in my personal experience, there's a lot of goodwill among prospective clients, clients, contacts, where you say, look, you know, this is Jerry, he's my trainee. He's not getting this exposure to meetings he was. Can, can he sit in? And people are really welcome that as, and they understand it. So I think that in many ways, it's no different from the situation we find ourselves in in the office. We have to try really hard because with social distancing, we can't sit next to one another. So even if we were in the office, we couldn't have that sort of close contact we had before. So we have to be imaginative, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Um, and then there was, we've had loads of questions in advance. There was another one about working from home, but actually it may not necessarily be from home. Uh, it could be from anywhere. You know, we've seen um, often junior team members kind of going back to their teen, teenage bedrooms or working in hotels on holidays. Some people who have second homes in, in other countries. And it will be interesting, um, Beth, if you're able just to comment on if you've seen how firms are addressing that question of where employees are and partners are being 
asked to work from if they are not working from the office? Are they prescribing that? Are they leaving it to, to people's discretion? Well, I think there was certainly a recognition of the sort of crisis state, the state of flux that a lot of people were in at the beginning of the pandemic, at the beginning of lockdown. And that lots of people, particularly younger workers, as you say, might be moving around a bit between parental home, rental accommodation. I think most firms I've seen have been taking a pretty flexible approach to that within reason. But there are risks involved in, in that kind of state of flux, which as an employer, the businesses, and, and again, I come back to my previous point about providing a safe place of work, you know, there should be risk assessments carried out in relation to and sort of you know, ergonomic assessments of workplace, of working mm. arrangements. Um, hard to do that if someone's constantly changing their place of work and moving around. Firms do have potential liability for the sort of health and safety of their workforce. And so I think as we settle down into a longer term pattern of remote working, I think there will have to be more sort of recognition that that people should be doing it in one place and and employers ought to be understanding firms ought to be understanding where they are and where their staff are and and what they're doing and how they how they're sort of set up rather than just allowing that sort of flexibility forever so you know you've got to balance that with the realities of people's lives which are you know as Rob has rightly identified we're still in a sort of crisis state and that is difficult for people to manage. Thank you. And Claire, I, I know you're not a tax advisor, but I know that your tax advisory colleagues will be jumping up and down because this question came from somebody from an international law firm, as it happens. Uh, presumably, they'll be jumping up and down saying, don't let them work abroad. Don't let them establish a, a permanent establishment. Um, are you prepared to sort of trick cycle a little bit in that area for us? Yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm, some, you know, have UK tax knowledge, but I'm most certainly not a foreign tax expert. So I will tread rather carefully. But yes, my colleagues are doing an awful lot of work in this area. I think there is definitely a risk of a permanent establishment and all sorts of other things, depending on where you work and depending on what type of work the mm. staff member is doing. That's that's quite important as well. You know, generally, the country that you work in has some form of rights over taxing, taxing yep. you, whether it's the business or the individual. Um, now, there are an awful lot of double tax treaties, and that basically is supposed to shield the individual from having to pay income tax in both jurisdictions. But, you know, the rules are, are very, very difficult to navigate so uh, it's definitely something that firms are looking at I mean for example if if you it seems to me that if you set foot in California and do anything vaguely work-like that the IRS wants to tax you whereas in some other parts of the US they don't so it's really a minefield so I would say it is incredibly important that the not only the business looks at that to check that they don't establish a permanent establishment for themselves but the employee as well because it's not just tax it's things like and we had a query from a client not that long ago can they still access NHS health treatment if they need it if they're working permanently or semi-permanently from abroad or life insurance if something happens to them while they're working from abroad so the onus is on the firm and on the individual I think to check that out with you know an expert. Yeah and I would add to that the PI insurance as well check that the PI insurance isn't undermined by it. I I think it's a really important point because obviously as part of the alliance we spend a lot of time uh, talking to partners and firms and focused on partner related issues and partners are the people who are concluding contracts so from a permanent establishment point of view if you have you know Fred in payroll working from Germany, that might not be so bad, but if you've got your senior partner, your managing partner, your CEO working from Germany, that's probably more problematic than Fred in payroll, frankly. It's a bigger issue, I'd have thought. It is. A lot of it's definitely down to what you're doing. And if you're making Mm. decisions for the business from a foreign jurisdiction, then then you might well be in trouble. So yes, it is definitely Mm. 
Great, thank you very much. Thank you very much. My colleague Richard quite rightly points out that you may end up with regulatory issues if you're working abroad. Thank you, Richard, for pointing out that I hadn't pointed that out. One of our Alliance members, David Shuttlebotham, who you will all know very well, wasn't able to join the panel today, but he shared some really interesting ideas with us about the fact that now is a really great opportunity to actually to be trying new things and to work out what works well, because we have this strange set of circumstances. So let's turn them to our advantage. I mean, he uses a few examples like the presence technology, whether you're remote or in the office. So the idea that I have a uh, CCTV pinned up here in the shed and it's kind of pointed on me all the time so that my colleagues can see whether I'm on the phone, whether I'm away from my desk. Now, there was a previous strongly held view that that was a bit big brothery because you know, you're watching me all the time, whether I get up from my desk and go get a cup of coffee. But, but I think things are changing a little bit now because especially with kind of a generational shift with a generation that now live their lives on screens, it, it's much more acceptable. And, and it helps because you never know when you ring somebody on the phone, whether you're disturbing them. So often the first thing people say is, am I disturbing you? If you had presence technology, you would know you weren't disturbing someone because you'd picked a moment and it might make it easier. It might also level the playing field between people who are in the office and not in the office, or indeed people who have large offices um, where you've got someone on the first floor and someone on the fourth floor. I mean, those people may as well be in the shed because nobody ever bothered to get on the lift and go and talk to them in person. So David points out that these are this is a really great opportunity to pilot these sorts of schemes and to sort of work out what really enhances the effectiveness of people's working lives. I don't know whether, panel, Rob, perhaps, what's your take on, on those sorts of... Is this a great opportunity to try new things? I think it is. I, I think it is. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, if we go back to normal, the normal's not going to be like normal was before. So to a degree, things are going to be different and we're going to have to adapt to them. And why not, instead of just adapting, look for the opportunity to, to really optimize and not just with technology, but technology springs to mind as a low hanging fruit to use that horrible metaphor. I mean, people have been talking about digital transformation for, for some time, and, and this pandemic has pushed us five years into the future, certainly so far as remote working is concerned. Yeah. Uh, so, so why don't we really do what is necessary to, to get that right, rather than just plaster the cracks? Right, thank you. And Beth, Claire, any, any thoughts on the kind of the opportunities? I think David used a great phrase when he raised this with us. He said, this is a great time to take some risks. Mm. What, what's your take on that, Beth? <laughs> Well, I mean, as a lawyer, I'm, I guess I'm naturally risk averse, but I think I agree. I think it is time to be creative, a, a really good time to be creative around how you collaborate, because we can't, because as you've rightly identified, Corinne, we can't collaborate in the same ways we have, even if we're in the office, because mm. we can't sit next to each other. We can't, you know, there's all sorts of things we can't do that we used to be able to do. So I think thinking about that creatively, getting comfortable as a business that you're happy with the legal position particularly in terms of things like data privacy you know that what you're doing you're comfortable with and you've taken advice on what the risks are there but also that you're you know you're doing something which with which your workforce are comfortable so that you're not imposing things on people that, that they feel uncomfortable with and you know a happy workforce is an effective workforce all those kinds of things you know within reason you need to just think about what works for you as a business and, and how that operates for you yeah. rather than just you know thinking we can just plow ahead without considering those issues. <laughs> Yeah. I think there are probably operational efficiencies. Um, I was talking in the mini group just now that, you know, it used to be the case that we had, and businesses generally had lots of meetings and, you know, you had a meeting that, that morning and then you have a meeting about a meeting about a meeting and it's just <laughs> meetings. And, and then we all went through the phase of thinking, well, we need to cut down on the number of meetings because it's just too many of them. Now you can actually, well, I find you can actually have more of them over this sort of uh, function. 
because you can convene them more quickly and you can stick to time and you can actually get through the agenda quite easily and you can drop off to do something else if you need to and join and that and that sort of thing but that's an operational efficiency that I would never have imagined but it works quite well so there are an awful lot of opportunities that that are presenting themselves. I agree right. with you. I think meetings can be more efficient in this kind of way sometimes that you can't you know rather than all having to traipse to a room sit down have the you know you, you can get on zoom have a quick meeting and it, that can be done really quickly and efficiently I think that is something for us all to learn that we didn't think was possible before. It's been it's like we've all been chucked into one great big experiment and we've been told look you've got to work this out and make it work you know as best you can and we're all finding our way and actually discovering that we can do it and, and it does bring benefits. Yeah, and I think it's important that we don't forget those benefits from as we come out of this, whenever that is or whatever that looks like, that we think about what was good about it. I think that's really important. I think you're absolutely right, Beth. There's been a couple of points that have come up on the chat, bit of a technical point on distance selling regulations and the idea of these kind of off-premises contracts. I don't think that anything's changed, to be honest with you. Off-premises was anything outside the office and it was also opaque in terms of the fact that the door-to-door selling regulations applied to everyone so I actually don't think that anything has particularly changed it was for a lot of businesses quite rare that the initial contact was established through a face-to-face meeting in the office anyway so um, I don't think we need to worry about that and then to pick up on this point about say that the regulatory issues and and holidays um, I think that I suspect that the permanent establishment and and, and working from abroad was always an issue, but people will be much more alive. Um, When I say people, I mean authorities will be much more alive to those risks than perhaps they were before. And it'll be more widespread than it was before. So I think it is a a more real risk than than it, it is. And then finally, on this idea for legal services, if you are interested in where you can and can't practice from as a lawyer on the fly in fly out basis the law society has done a huge piece of work and I hesitate to use the word with only seven minutes to go but as as part of the Brexit planning process but they've looked at what the situation will be for people being able to operate as lawyers in in all of the different European jurisdictions And, and that's relevant both for UK lawyers or US lawyers to whom those rules always applied but they weren't really looked at properly frankly for some of them so that that's a really fantastically useful piece of research which I would commend to any of you I don't think it's on their website I think you have to just email them to say can I have a copy but very easy to get hold of a copy I think I'll just have a look at these uh, points on on the chat but we have got a final poll question that we would like to to put to everybody after all the different thoughts that have been raised both by the panel and the uh, chat function and I'd quite like to ask you which statement best describes your view of the impact of the evolved working practices and potentially widespread remote working long term on your business and um, just to get a sense of kind of people's attitudes towards the opportunity or, or not of long-term evolution. Just looking at the chat function, it's really fascinating to see on, on the chat function how many people have, have seen the opportunities and, and the benefits to, to continue to work effectively and so on, but equally that there are aspects of our, our more traditional ways of working that we don't want to lose. Great, we're looking at the results now. So we've got 62% of the people who were polled see it as a great opportunity to enhance culture and support strategic aims. Interestingly, no one thought that a physical office was the only solution for the kind of the business long term, which I mean, I'm speculating here, but I get the, the feeling that if you'd have asked that question even a year ago, there would have been some people who had that attitude. Oh, one question here. Hot desking thoughts. What do you reckon? Beth, good idea? Not a good idea? Well, I think there have always been, I think, 
issues around hot desking from a cultural perspective I think a lot of the research into into sort of pure hot desking when no one has a desk at all and you just come in in the morning and sit where you can I think there is some evidence that that decreases engagement and that people and people don't feel that they have a sort of place in the workplace. I think there's a separate issue around hot desking with COVID that you shouldn't be using, certainly sort of from one day to the next, you shouldn't be sharing equipment at the moment. And that, you know, hopefully as we come out, that will have come out of the pandemic, that will change. I think it needs to be given some careful thought as to how hot desking works. I, I know lots of businesses do it. And I think, you know, it just, it, you need to think about how it works and whether you have people sharing desks or that sort of pure, as I say, sort of hot desking coming in, just sitting where you like on a day-to-day basis I think can have an impact on how engaged people feel. I would agree with Beth the hot desking thing has always been a little bit you know you don't really feel like you belong if the, the employer won't give you a, the tools to do your job and a state you know a desk that you can go to every day it's I don't know I've never really liked it but I can see why it has to happen but I think we can all certainly work on smaller desks I mean you can't mm. see where I'm working at home but I have a much smaller desk than I have in the office I've got this vast expanse in the office and I don't need you know even half of it so there's that in the um surveys that I was looking at yesterday there was a phrase that came up I can't remember, I think it was a firm of architects that said that they were going to say to their team with regard to the desk that they normally had that was theirs that you either use it or lose it that that was going to come mm. in a future phase and so the implication being that if you're not going to be there I don't know if they really mean five days a week but substantially part of the week then you will be moving to hot desking so I think that's probably that seems fair I enough. think that's right Claire I think that kind of balance between you know if you're only coming in once in a blue moon you don't you might not get a desk but if you are coming in more regularly I think there will be going forward I think there'll be a balance of those two sort of things yeah because there's some professions of course where this is not a novel idea at all the management consultants have been hot desking for years or more accurately hoteling so you'd phone in in the and and, and book a space and say today I need a meeting room or today I need an office and I remember back in the in the it was in the early 90s in fact when Accenture started doing this might even have been the 80s they would roll out your little credenza and they put the photographs of your kids on the desk and set it all up and and, and that's where you'd work that day it, it, it was almost like booking a hotel room so and why not yeah, absolutely. I think if you can show that flexibility and still sort of in, involve that engagement, I think that's fine. And in the, the final minutes, final thoughts from the panel about the office, what, what, what are your sort of last little pearls of wisdom for us? Beth? Thanks. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk that the office is a thing of the past. And I just I don't see that as the truth. I think that, that there will be a role for the office. I think the sort of collaboration and the and and also frankly the sort of the community and engaging and social engagement um, is is still a really important part of a lot of people's working lives. And I think that won't get lost altogether. Um, but I think it will look different. I think there's no avoiding the fact that we won't go back to what we the way we worked before. Right. Uh, Claire? Well, same really. I mean, I, I've always been in the camp that I, I do want to be able to get back to the office at some point, but like many others, I don't think I'll ever do five days a week again. But there has to be a good reason for going back to the office beyond, beyond you know, just turning up for the sake of it. Uh, but I do miss, I do miss the office. But at the same time, it, it is possible to work from home. And I think we've shown as a business that we can do it very successfully. Thanks, Claire. And Rob, the, the last word. <laughs> okay, it may sound philosophical or worse, there was still semantics, but I think we need to get beyond thinking about the offices of the workspace. We need to think of the workspace as anywhere that our people are doing their work, whether it's in the office, and that's clearly going to be an important part of component of the workspace going forward, or at home, or at the client's premises, or on the beach in the Bahamas. It doesn't really matter. We need to be able to build all of this place into a performance-enhancing 
concept that drives the way that people work and deliver services to the client and engage with each other. Fantastically philosophical. Actually, it resonates with an email exchange I had earlier with a with a contact who was saying that work is not a contract. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between employer and employee, between partners and one another. It's a relationship between the firm and the client. And actually that resonates because it's about, you know, kind of nurturing that relationship. And I think that resonates very strongly with that very wise insight, Rob. I want to thank the panel for their fantastic insights. Thank you. So, so the final thank you really is to, to you for all your fantastic comments, questions, observations. Thank you very much.